Welcome to Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better, where I talk about my personal and my group coaching clients' experiences of healing our hearts, authentically falling in love with ourselves, and yes, finding someone better. I'm Claire the Heartbreak Coach. Let's take your love life and entire life to the next level. Hello, my loves. Welcome to episode 206, 12 years since rock bottom. So today, this episode releases on February 13th, 2023, one day after my 42nd birthday. And I'm recording this a few days before my birthday, but let's be real. I'm 40 fucking two, and I am here for it. I totally embrace my age And I did that before I found Larry. I met Larry at 38, and I just embraced being a single 38-year-old woman living in Los Angeles, owning the fuck out of her and her journey. And I don't think that's any coincidence as to how I was able to attract Larry, one of the many ways that I attracted him when I did. I did an episode two years ago called 10 Years Since Rock Bottom. By the way, my rock bottom I'm referring to is being in the worst relationship of my life with someone who I would peg as a narcissistic sociopath. And if you want more details on that relationship, go to episode five. I turned 40, if you you can do the math, two years ago, and it really felt like just so emotional and so amazing. And I had just been with Larry for over a year when I recorded that episode. So much had changed for me in the 10 years. So I wanted to share the important lessons that I've learned that would hopefully help many of you regardless of your age. But I think for sure when I was around 28, 29, 30, I had another heartbreak before that rock bottom relationship that really destroyed me as well. It was somewhat helpful hearing people say, oh, I had a heartbreak when I was your age and look at me now. But there wasn't as much information out there about healing and self-growth when it came to heartbreak. And so wherever you're at in your dating journey, maybe you're in a relationship and for whatever reason, you like listening to my podcast and you're curious. I think that the nuggets and the lessons and the reminders that I have for myself as I reflect on the last 12 years since my rock bottom relationship might be helpful to you. In that episode, 10 years since rock bottom, it's really important for me to share this with you. I, as many of you know, have been deleting a lot of my older podcast episodes. I've had this podcast now for four years. It originally was called How to Stop Wanting Him Back. Then it evolved into Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better because I took it upon myself to embark on creating my own process to call in love, which I did. And I love how this podcast has evolved. And I appreciate so many of you who've stayed with me throughout the different iterations of Claire as a heartbreak coach, Claire single, Claire heartbroken. I was also heartbroken. And Claire finding love and navigating love. I really appreciate that. And just listening to all of my experiences of coaching incredible women who are diving in to this work. 
One of the things that I shared on that episode that I just want to speak on here because it's really important to me is that I talk about how one of the things I learned since rock bottom that is so true for me is that our thoughts create our results. I still stand by this for the most part. What I have learned in the last two years, or I should say really recognized in the last two years, is that yes, I saw and still see that my thoughts create my results to a certain degree, but specifically when it came to, and this is a big reason why I've deleted a lot of my earlier episodes, when it came to your financial investment in coaching, I really cringed at how I was speaking about finding the money to invest in coaching. Because I talked about being broke as a joke in my mid-30s as a struggling actress living in Los Angeles as I was navigating my heartbreak, which ultimately led me to coaching, which led me to being healed and having my mind blown open. But what I didn't recognize at that time was that I was someone who grew up with a lot of privilege. I grew up in a very wealthy town in Westchester County in New York, Rye, New York, beautiful place, wonderful education system. I had an amazing positive, happy, blessed, privileged childhood on all the levels, upbringing on all the levels. I mean, I also grew up in an Irish Catholic family. There was lots of dysfunction, (laughs) but a lot of love. And I had great friends and just the all-American, very privileged high school experience that went on into college. I went to Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where there was a lot of wealth and a lot of privilege. Did I work hard? Yes. But I also had a lot of privilege that led into in my 20s and in my 30s, even when I built my yoga teaching business, I had a very wealthy network who hired me. And again, I worked my ass off, but I also had a leg up. I had a lot of privilege. And I think it's just I'm cringing even just thinking about some of the episodes that I listened to. I was like, I was broke as a joke and I figured out the thousands of dollars to invest in coaching. So you should too. And I just don't think that that's fair to every single human being. Now, are there some people who are like, oh, I don't have the money. And, you know, they're buying the Louis Vuitton bags and can't pick themselves off the floor with their heartbreak. I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying, take a look at where you're putting your money and is the Louis Vuitton bag. I'm just using the Louis. I have a Louis Vuitton bag. (laughs) Speaking of privilege, but I'm not judging the Louis Vuitton purchase. But I think there are a lot of people who say they want the help. They refuse to spend it on coaching, but then they're blowing it on trips and bags and shoes and clothes and experiences. But then they're still really miserable and you know, wanting the help, but not really prepared to make that investment. And again, I'm not saying it to judge. There's different walks of life, different value systems, and to each her own. But I would never say to someone below the poverty level that they can figure out money to pay for thousands of dollars worth of coaching with their minds. That's just not fair. That's not just that's just not fair, right? And I don't even believe that it's true. I mean, I guess maybe miracles can happen and someone could gift that to you 
or whatever, but if someone was to gift you that money, maybe, I don't know, making sure that you've got enough rent for the next however long would be a smarter investment at that point in time. Now, when it comes to your thoughts creating your results with heartbreak dating and relationships, again, I do believe that. I do believe I called Larry into my life because of this work, because I did the coaching work on building my relationship with myself, on healing my heart and creating a next level of closure on all of my exes and learning how to deliberately call love in and be able to discern what's a red flag, what's on availability, what's not, learning how to be flexible when I met this man with four children and him living 80 miles away, like figuring out what works for me, what doesn't work for me, being able to evaluate him in the moment or other men in the moment when I was dating them. You know, coaching taught me all of that. So again, yes, I do believe our thoughts create our results. However, if you grew up in an extremely abusive environment and or you observed a very abusive parent relationship and you're crippled with trauma associated with romantic relationships and haven't done any kind of therapy or EMDR work or ERP work or CBT work. I could go on and on. There are just so many important tools. I would suggest you do that first and not just come in and work with me and have me go, oh, well, girlfriend, it's your thoughts that create your results. So just change your thought about finding love. It's just not that simple. So it was just really important. And I appreciate you guys sitting and listening. Here I am recording nine minutes in. I have a lot to say and good nuggets to share about what I have since learned even in the last 12 years, which would really mean things that have occurred to me in the last two years since that 10 years since rock bottom episode. But I wanted to re-listen to just see, I feel like I have changed a lot as a coach in the last two years. I don't think things are as black and white, clearly, if you're picking up what I've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. I think, especially when it comes to the niche of heartbreak dating and relationships, it's just not the same as if you were coaching someone who's trying to build her coaching business or coaching someone who has a health goal. There could be crossover, but it's not the same. I see now more than ever, especially because I've had this incredible group program coaching a group of women for the last two years now. And I'm really just seeing that, yes, I have systems and processes and five-step processes to stop wanting them back and find someone better, all of that. And I think that they're all, if I say so myself, excellent bodies of work. And there's always exceptions to every rule. Maybe I should have thrown that in as one of the things that I wanted to share that I've learned since rock bottom. There's always exceptions to every rule, and it's so important to just meet yourself where you're at in that moment and assessing you and the other person and that situation or maybe your finances or whatever the circumstance that you're in. So I hope that that is clear. And the last thing I just want to say is I'm sorry to any of you who may have stuck to listening to this podcast, but you didn't agree or you found it to be quite triggering or um, it put you in a position to feel shame that you thought you couldn't figure out the money. And here I was saying you should and you can. That's not always necessarily the case. I just didn't like my tone and the way that I was approaching investing in coaching as black and white. And look, there are other reasons why I've been deleting these earlier mess- earlier 
episodes, but that was a big one for me. So I thank you for continuing to listen. I know that life is not black and white. That is something that I have continued to work on throughout my life. I'm a six on the Enneagram. Sixes tend to be black and white thinkers, and it's it's that's just not the way the world works. Okay, so without further ado, let's dive in. There's no special order here of the lessons I've learned in the last 12 years since rock bottom, but really the last two years since I hit 40 and what is like becoming more apparent to me that I wish my 30-year-old self at rock bottom really could see and understand. One is you'll never have it all figured out. Now, I'm sure many of you are listening going, yeah, 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 I know that. I know we're not never going to have it all figured out. But for me personally, what I mean, and this really piggybacks off of what I'm saying at the beginning of this episode, is that when I launched this podcast in, I believe, March of 2019, it might be February or March of 2019, I really thought I had figured so much out. I figured out my relationship with money. I figured out my relationship with like myself being a CEO of a business. I figured out that coaching is the solution to everything. I figured out how to love who I see in the mirror. I figured out how, I don't think by the time I started this podcast, but then as I started to date and I found Larry, I figured out like, this is the way you find love and just felt like, oh, all the things I was so uncertain about or what I was not really good at in life, I'm now good at them. And I don't have to worry about those things anymore. You can hear me laughing because, you know, turning 40, I would say a lot of shit has come up. I definitely went into a deep depression 2021. Yeah, October of 2021. I don't know if it was hormonal. There were definitely some circumstantial things that I was moving to that were moving through that were very stressful for me, but also it felt like there was something like chemically off and I was freaking out about everything again. And I've mentioned this before, and I don't have a lot of evidence to back this up, but I did go to this holistic health doctor who did a deep dive blood panel recently. And I was saying, and they were telling me, you're off the charts healthy in all the ways. I was low on vitamin B and vitamin D and testosterone, which is normal for a woman in her 40s. But like those were easy fixes, but they were like, you're so off the charts healthy. It looks like you would live forever based on these results, which was phenomenal news. But I was explaining that I was still really anxious, high strung, very sensitive, highly reactive, and, you know, just feeling. Uh, feeling like I was struggling, even though I was exercising, eating well, for sure. I know I was drinking more than what I would prefer. But other than that, which again, I wasn't hungover. I wasn't getting shit face every night. I was, you know, if you've been listening to the alcohol series, probably drinking on average eight to 12 drinks. I would say that would be my one vice, but like doing all the other things pretty, pretty close to perfectly, whatever perfect means. But you guys get my drift. And she was saying that when you enter into your 40s, she's seen time and time again, women in their 40s and in her, in her own experience, that old trauma resurfaces in the brain and it's very normal. And just to be extra hypervigilant, you know, going on an antidepressant would be an option if I decided to. I haven't decided on that 
as of now, but I'm not closed off to it if I find myself back there again. And she also said she's seen a lot of women who were never drinkers then turn into big drinkers because they just don't know how to handle all of this trauma resurfacing, but that there's actual changing chemistry in the brain. I tried to do a little research on this and didn't find much. So again, take that with a grain of salt. But what I will say is that makes so much sense to me because every single woman in her early 40s that is really close to me or a client has had some like crazy trauma. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I feel so outside of myself experience, whether it's circumstantial or comes out of nowhere. So I just think that that is really interesting. So when I say you'll never have it all figured out, I really mean it. Like, don't I, I what I'm saying is don't get too confident. <laughs> like life will still have curveballs. And I'm also not saying, you know, sit around and wait for the other shoe to drop. But don't believe when you find love, you've got it all figured out. I mean, I love Larry more than life itself, and we still move through challenges. And I say that a lot, which <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like we're always moving through challenges, but we've definitely had challenges that are hard, and we will have them again. And hello, I'm entering into this step-parent figure role, and that's not easy either. So I, I definitely don't have all of that figured out. And, you know, my body is changing, so old shit is coming up about my body and all kinds of things. I'm still always stressing about my business and thinking that I'm not doing enough or afraid that I missed something or it's just there's always something and I don't mean that in a Debbie Downer way, but just like, okay, I don't, ha- it, it, it gives me relief to know that I'll never have it all figured out. Like that's normal. <laughs> Number two, I am highly sensitive and dramatic for better or worse. For whatever reason, if you guys have been listening for a while, you know that I totally own my fiery Irish personality. I used to shame myself for it, and then I realized it's inherently who I am, and it is my job to manage it. I'm not going to toss my hands and say, well, you're a problem because I'm just a fiery Irish person, so you're just going to have to deal. Sometimes I have, not sometimes, many times (laughs) I have, you know, been out of line, snapped, and just let my fiery Irishness get the best of me. In other ways, I especially think as a coach, I'm just so passionate about what I do that I think my fire really works, at least for my right clients. But I think I have been ashamed to own my high sensitivity and my dramatic side to my personality, which is funny because I came out of the womb as an actress And for sure, I was a very highly reactive, very sensitive, temper tantrum-y kid, very moody teenager. And just, yeah, I created drama wherever I went, whether it was on stage, on camera, or behind the scenes. Totally did. And that was really unconscious. And there's still times where I'm unconsciously highly sensitive and unconsciously dramatic. And now I allow for it and I go to the right people who find it entertaining or identify as HSPs and drama queens themselves. And I just like let it all out in a really safe space. And then from there, decide how I want to proceed forward. And yeah, sometimes Larry is on the receiving end of that. There are moments where he's like, babe, this is too much. And 
him saying this is too much will be really triggering for me. But what I also want to throw in there, which was not what not one of my little, you know, what I've learned in the 12 years, but you can also find someone who will think you're too much or too sensitive or too dramatic or too fiery and will still love you unconditionally. I think the reason why I've still attracted this amazing man who loves me for all of me and will challenge me and tell me the things that I don't want to hear is because I always do the work on myself. If Larry and I have a challenge or we piss each other off or whatever, we always work through it and it's it, it's complete, right? The challenge is complete. It's not, and that's unfinished business. And now one of us is waiting for the other shoe to drop and walking on eggshells. So Larry knows this about me. I know this about me. Most importantly, I own it. I'm aware of it. It's still going to come out at times in a not so great way. And it's also a beautiful part of me and who I am. Three, someone can be your everything and not do everything and fill every need and be there every minute for you. Someone can be your everything and not do everything and fill every need and be there every minute for you. I feel so confident and self-owned in saying that Larry is my everything. I don't care if that sounds anti-feminist to you. He is my world. He is my dream. He is my best friend. He does it for me in all the ways. I still, last night I was just hanging at the house with him and the kids, and I fucking melt just looking at him. And he'll just look at me in the middle of us playing a board game all together and just like give me this stare that's like the Care Bear stare. It's the Lair Bear stare of just absolute love. It's He's everything I wanted and more. Sorry to be so mushy, but it's true. He's my everything, but he has four children and a very demanding job and he likes to surf and he has a life outside of me. He is my everything, but he doesn't fill every need and do everything for me and be there every minute that I would like him to be there. And that just feels really freeing and really relieving and really healthy to me. And, you know, when I think about number two, where I say I really am dramatic and highly sensitive, I'm actually totally fine going to some of my besties. I have a best friend. She cracks me up so much. And anything I tell her that's annoying to me, she immediately is like, (gasps) no, they didn't. Stop it, Claire. No, no, she didn't. It is hilarious. Like immediately her validation. (laughs) It's so hilarious. It's so dramatic. And it's everything I need. And I'm going to go to her before I go to Larry about a lot of my bullshit that like she will just be like, oh, my God, no, they didn't. So Larry is my everything. My bestie who's probably listening to this episode, she's not my everything. She's one of my closest friends. And she sometimes shows up for me and gives me the reaction and response that I want that's better than Larry. But he's still my everything. And sometimes he just can't pick up the phone for me because his kids come fucking first as they fucking should. So I say this 
to offer to any of you that, you know, it's okay for you to want all the things with your partner, but it's also important to evaluate him as a whole person and look at his life and what's on his plate and not make that mean that he should fill every single expectation and desire of yours in order for you to feel loved and safe. Four, one area of work at a time. And within that area, the importance of evaluating one unique circumstance individually. So this is very vague, but roll with me. It's important to work on one area in your life at a time. And within that area, it's important to evaluate one unique circumstance individually. So a perfect example of this is, you know, if you are trying to figure out health goals and money goals and job goals and find your person at the same time, I would not recommend that. I usually say to most of my clients, let's do one thing at a time. Sometimes there's someone in job transition, but they come to me and they're working through that. But it's also really important for them to find love and both feel very manageable to do. I'm not saying, again, this is black and white. You can only do one thing at a time. But I would definitely recommend really going all in and focusing on one area of growth at a time because I think I worked on my money and my business and my body and healing my heart all simultaneously, but I do, and and alcohol, right? And then eventually I needed to revisit all of those areas and not to say that I won't have to again, but I think it was like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit over here, a little bit over there. And all of them have kind of bitten me in the ass in different ways for me to have to like revisit those things. And they're all important areas. They're all very important areas for me to look at and have healthy relationship with. But I would suggest one area of work at a time. And so what I mean when I say then evaluate one unique circumstance individually is if you are dating, don't lump three dates and make a story out of those three dates with three different people. Like everybody ghosts me because these three guys ghosted me and then think that just in general guys ghost. Unpack each of those dates. Those three guys were not all the same. It could actually just be a coincidence and not because this is this is the the slippery slope we all go down, right? Like, oh, three in a row ghosted. So it must be something I'm doing that's creating the ghosting. And I would say not necessarily true. Unpack each of those individual dates. Or let's say you're on a drinking journey and or a, you know, minimal drinking journey or you're on a cleanse and you slipped up three times and you overdrank. I would unpack each of the times you slipped up. What were you thinking? What was the environment? Had you done the prep work beforehand? And I I do this with my group clients and my one-on-one clients whether you're dating. I have I have a one-on-one client right now we're just solely working on her drinking journey. I, you know, really think it's so important that fall in love with you work but not to lump them all together, not to lump all the individual circumstances in that one area of growth is really important because it sets you up for failure when you start to lump shit together and make a story out of it. And it it ends up creating more drama and prevents you from creating the growth 
in that area. Five, you don't have to be perfectly aligned for the things you want to have happen. This has come up for a couple of my clients recently where they've done so much work on themselves, healed their hearts, deepened their relationship with themselves. They're dating now, looking for their person. And then some shit ends up happening with their job or something triggering happening happens with a family member and they're super upset. And then they feel like they can't swipe because they're not like in the best of spaces to swipe. And I think that's a whole load of bullshit. How many times have we heard of someone being in a bad mood at a bar, but their friends drag them out and then Mr. Amazing, you know, comes over and sweeps you off your feet? You can be in negative emotion and still swipe. I would just be aware that you are in the negative emotion and still be intentionally swiping, which I teach you how to do in my course. So if you were in my group program, there's a whole video on intentional swiping and if you sign up to work with me one-on-one, you also gain access to my 80 video course uh, where I teach you all about managing your mind. But again, this is just one example of thinking you need to be perfectly aligned. Like I've signed clients when I'm in such a bad mood and I'm not applying or implementing the coaching work and I'm just being pissy or like maybe Larry and I had a fight and someone's like, I want to be in a relationship like you and Larry. And I'm like dying laughing because they've just applied and maybe Larry and I had a fight and I'm like really upset about it. Just do the work, do the deeper work. And have your eye on the prize. I'm not saying that that means, ah, fuck it. So the work doesn't matter. No, the work totally matters. And you can have wobble and not have things be perfectly and still show up with intention and not push the negative emotion away or the negative experience away in order to take action to where you want to go. Six, You can change what worked for you before. So what do I mean by this? I think what I said at the top of this episode applies. Yes, your thoughts create your results, but now I see it a little bit differently and that that's not tried and true for every single scenario. And own that. Oh, this is what I thought at this point in time. And now I think this. And I think for me, investigating and shifting my mind about something that I was so loud and proud and yes, even righteous about is it it reminds me of someone. I mean, I felt this way about Catholicism. I, I was raised Irish Catholic. And then, I mean, even through college, I was always going to church. And, and I hope that I'm not offending anybody who is a practicing Catholic or anybody who is devout in their religion. I also think to each their own. And for me personally, you know, unraveling my own beliefs and questioning my own beliefs, not because they were just impressed upon me. You know, I spent my earlier years in Dublin from when I was three till I was eight. And we just went in and they just started saying Hail Mary and our father. And no one, I know no one broke it down for us. What did that even mean? They just started drilling the prayers into us without even explaining what they mean. I mean, of course, we learned about the Bible and all of that, but 
What do these words actually mean to me? And it was really, you know, like a little bit of an identity crisis to be like, oh, this isn't what I think or, oh, I don't necessarily agree with that. And, you know, have that, again, be a part of my identity or like this is the kind of coach that I am and this is what I stood for and this is what I've said in a bunch of podcasts and articles. But it's okay if something that worked for you before doesn't work for you now. I think it's just about owning it. And again, how boring would it be if you learned something and it was like, and this is the thing and look no further. I mean, I do believe no, look no further when it comes to healing your heart and finding love with this work, but something else might work for you later. Like right now, perfect example. Oh, I guess this would be the opposite or something that didn't work for you before could work for you again. I used to practice Kundalini yoga, K-U-N-D-A-L- I-N-I, Kundalini Yoga. I used to practice it all the time in LA when I lived there at 28 years old, 28, 29 years old. And it's this really out there chanty, I would describe it as woo-woo yoga, but it really spoke to me. It shifted so much for me. It brought up a lot for me. It was really my first taste of what yoga looked and felt like on a spiritual level. And then I just dropped it. When I moved back to New York, I dabbled in it a little bit, but then I got my yoga teacher training as a vinyasa yoga teacher. And I've now, however many years later, 13 probably, 12, 13 years later, I'm practicing kundalini again. I'm doing a kundalini kriya with a few of my sister friends, and we're doing it for 40 days. I might do it for longer. It's working for me now. So not only, you know, can you change what worked for you before, i.e., I don't think thoughts create results is so black and white, but also you can revisit what worked for you before. And I think furthermore, it's just what is it that you need? What came up for me? I was the one who was like, hmm, I feel like for my meditation practice, Kundalini would be really cool to do again. It just came to me. It wasn't, I should do kundalini yoga because 12, 13 years ago, that really helped me back then. So it's going to help me now. I also learned transcendental meditation last year and practiced it for a while. Then it fell to the wayside. Who knows if by the end of this year, I'm back to transcendental meditation. So not only is it, you know, what worked for you before, you don't have to do now, but also what didn't work for you before, because for a while I dropped it. I mean, now Larry's kids are in a Catholic school and he likes me to go to church with him from time to time. I'm happy to go with him and support him. You know, you can be malleable. You can be flexible. You don't have every you don't have to have everything defined and decide one thing doesn't work for you anymore and it never will or one thing did work for you. So therefore, you should always stick to it. Be willing to be flexible and investigate if what you've been practicing and what you've been doing still works for you. Seven, there really is no there there. Brooke Castillo uses this phrase. I've shared it a lot recently. I know on the podcast, there really is no there there. I am just with my dream man. As I said, I won't indulge too much. And I love my job and I am staring at the Pacific Ocean right now from my apartment and 
talking to you guys. I love this podcast. I love that I'm turning 42. I love that my parents are good and healthy and happy and my family is and my friends. I have so much abundance. I'm going to get emotional. I have so much abundance. And yet, you know, my brain's going to do what it's going to do. It's going to freak out. It's going to be highly sensitive. It's going to be fiery and angry. It's going to be dramatic at times. And things are just going to be hard. And so it is. And, you know, you hear me talk about it a lot, but to really drive it home for you guys, because I remember working with a coach who has, you know, a multi million dollar business, and she would say, Oh, there's no there there. I have problems too. And I'm like, Oh, come on, but you're swimming in millions of dollars. So yeah, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. And I used to think that once I got to the level where I'm at now with my own business, trust me, it's not millions, but I'm doing pretty well for myself that then I would feel like I could relax and arrive. And I don't. Again, I have, you know, old money stuff that comes up where I'm like, oh God, but you're doing this on your own. And what if it all falls to shit? I still have, you know, that lizard brain that Jamie talked about in the recent episodes of uh, talking about alcohol, you know, preparing for danger. And so, I think that invites us to relax on this journey of getting to where we want to go. And you can get there, but just know that there will always be work and that there's no finished business in this lifetime. Eight, it's so important to love the journey and otherwise beyond the obvious why. It's so important to love the journey and otherwise beyond the obvious why. You know you want to heal your heart for obvious reasons. You just want to get the fuck over that motherfucker. You know you want love because it's just so much better with romantic love. That doesn't mean your life is shitty as a single person. And I won't get into that because I'll be talking here forever. It's so easy for me to say, oh, I want to drink minimally and ultimately be more sober than buzzed in my life because, oh, I just want to look really good. As I mentioned in last week's episode, when the work isn't working 2.0, you know, when it takes longer for those health goals to happen, or it takes longer for you to heal your heart, or it takes longer for you to find someone better. And these are three just arbitrary circumstances, but this podcast is what it is. And I like to talk about my own personal experience. You're going to be pretty fucking miserable on the journey to getting there. You need to have deeper, better whys. For me personally with alcohol, it isn't just about the physique or how I look. I personally just don't want to be a woman who relies on alcohol for fun and relies on alcohol to take the edge off. I'm just not interested in that. Even if it's just one or two drinks, which is really my batting average, my brain would love to go for one or two drinks every night just to take that edge off. But the cumulative effect of brain fog and feeling blech in my body and higher anxiety and irritability isn't worth it. And I don't have it all figured out, right? There's no there there on this journey, and it's a brand new journey. I've been sober for 38 days as I record this episode, but I will be treating myself to two drinks on Friday and two drinks on Saturday for my birthday. And then I'm going back to complete sobriety 
until there's another special occasion. And I I don't have some set plan of how it's all going to look and how it's going to go. I'm just clear. I would like to celebrate and have some cocktails with my man at these amazing restaurants we're going to and enjoy myself, but then get back. It used to be 30 days or 45 days, no alcohol, and then four drinks a week. And that ended up being a slippery slope for me. Now I'm trying something new with, okay, it's my birthday. This is one celebration. Don't just get back into four drinks a week just for the sake of having four drinks a week. That's where I'm at. But the point of this little lesson is loving that I'm becoming someone who doesn't need alcohol to have a good time or to connect with her partner or to take the edge off. And I would say for your heartbreak, like, of course, you don't want to feel that pain. But I think another reason to want to heal your heart is because you are going to next level know yourself and love yourself and have a deeper awareness of what you want and what you don't want in your ideal relationship when you do the conscious healing heartbreak work. And yeah, you want to find love because it's just exciting to have your person by your side and not be the single girl at the wedding. But beyond that, it's, you know, think about becoming that person for somebody else. I, I love what I am to Larry and what I represent for Larry and who I am and how I show up for him. That's really amazing. I love the sense of purpose I feel for him and his kids. And I really loved the practice of going after what I wanted, which was finding love without being attached to the when and the how. And I really let go of the when and the how when I found Larry, which is another way that I thought he came to me sooner because I was like, I'm amazing inside and out at 38. Life is going really well. I have so much to offer someone. So I'm just going to go out and find him. And if I find him at 38 or even 48, like, hear me roar. I'm not going to be miserable on this journey. I know the catch I am. I would much prefer to have him in my life. But if he's not, I'm going to enjoy the fuck out of my life while never giving up. So do you see how there are way more whys in the growth towards the result than just getting the actual result in and of itself? Nine, this is really short and simple. Get emergency bypass on your phone. Emergency bypass, especially if you have uh, an iPhone. A couple of months ago, Larry had a kidney stone and I was at my place and he was at his place with the kids and my phone was on silent. And for five hours, he was trying to call me to bring him to the hospital. I don't know why he didn't call anyone else. (laughs) I don't know why he didn't call 911. It's crazy what the brain will do, but he was like only trying to reach me. I was traumatized when his niece and nephew came to the door. I don't know why he had his ne- didn't have his niece and nephew like come get him and drive him to the hospital, but his frame of thinking was just I need Claire to take me, which makes my heart explode but also the guilt that I felt, but like just a little life lesson. Now I have my parents, my brothers, my niece, my nephews, Larry's niece and nephew, and Larry and his two older kids, they all have emergency bypass. So turn your phones off if you have emergency bypass and you are at the movies or whatever. But 
I really couldn't live down that guilt and didn't know what emergency bypass was until after it was a little too late for Larry, but he passed the stone, so he's okay. 10. Grand gestures or spoiling really aren't important to me. I was actually just thinking even, and I knew this because I dated a lot of broke guys, including my rock bottom relationship, and I was broke. So I thought, who am I to look for someone who isn't broke when I'm broke? I really never cared about that. I really just wanted love and a true connection. And Larry is so generous with me. He's not like some crazy spoiler gift giver. It's just like if I like something, he's like, oh, I'll get it for you. That's just not the way he operates. But I hear a lot of women talking about like spoiling and that being important to them. And I just had to laugh. And I told this to one of my close friends this week, you know, last weekend, which is the weekend before my birthday weekend, Larry took the boys to this basketball camp up in the Bay Area in California. And I had his girls. The house had also just gotten repainted on the inside. So everything was really turned upside down. And he was getting a procedure done that had me kind of have to take care of him and the kids. And he had work and everything. And it occurred to me, you know, chances are he probably didn't make reservations for my birthday weekend this weekend. And I just like laughed to myself. And I fucking made the reservations myself because it's not hard and it doesn't mean he doesn't care. And it just goes back to my man can be everything and not be and do all the things. And I don't have to make meaning out of it. And I can just love the fuck out of him and, you know, get business done. It's Santa Barbara. These restaurants that I'm obsessed with, they book out quickly. Hence why one of the restaurants we're going to at 530. (laughs) on Saturday. And then I told him, oh, by the way, for my birthday, we're going to these places. I took the liberty of booking the reservations. And he was like, nice, good for you. (laughs) And we just had a total chuckle and just a reminder of these expectations. And if they don't do that, what does it mean? And these are the things that are important to me. And maybe gifts and spoiling are one of your love languages. Fine. But you know, the way I look at it is this man gives me acts of service in all the ways. Use your imagination. You're welcome. He gives me words of affirmation all the time. He gives me as much time of quality time that he absolutely can. And he gives me physical touch, physical touch all the time when I'm listing off the five love languages, right? So gifts and the spoiling, like when you get all that other stuff and he does buy me gifts and he does spoil me in his own way, but just the meaning that people make out of Valentine's Day and and birthdays and he, it needs to look like this. Now, obviously, if he didn't do anything or ha- didn't have anything for me, I would be upset. So jury's out on what that will be. But not to take it all so seriously. And I just felt like it was growth for me that I didn't think it was a problem that I was doing our birthday plans. And to give him credit, 
he said, let's go away for your birthday weekend. And I was the one that said, no, I really want to be low key, which again, falls in line with me wanting to just be inward and slow down. And I also am really protective of how I enter back into minimal drinking. I felt like if we went away, I would drink more and I didn't want to have that temptation. So um, he definitely offered earlier, but I knew he dropped the ball on making any kind of reservation for the places that we would want to be that would book up quickly. And it's not a big deal. And last but not least, which again circles back to the beginning of this, number 11 is I'm going to fuck up as a coach and that's okay. I'm going to fuck up as a coach and that's okay. And that's a hard pill for me to swallow. Like I just felt a tightness in my chest as I said this, but I am a human first, a coach second. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. My style is not everybody's style. All I know is that I serve at my highest level. I always think about my clients and you guys and what I say on here. And just I care so much. I love so much. And I'm still going to say something that will come off wrong to the other person. And that doesn't even happen often at all. But it for sure has happened. And it's really important for me to have the ability going back to evaluating one thing at a time. Well, one area of my life is that I want to be the best coach I can be. And I'm going to have people not agree with me, clients not agree with me and have a hard time with me and then have the ability to address each situation individually and decide, do I agree? Do I disagree? And can I just be wholeheartedly kind about it, see where the other person is coming from and speak my truth, but take responsibility when I could have done better. And I just think that that's so important for coaches to do, therapists to do, any kind of healers to do, to take responsibility, uh, not to be in some position of power and say, oh, well, if you're feeling negative emotion, it's just because of your thoughts. I think that that's sloppy. I think that that's irresponsible. I think it's unkind. And uh, I'm not here for it. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. I am offering one-on-one now more than ever. (laughs) That sounds funny. I've always said, oh, I'm offering a few slots of one-on-one, but mostly taking on people in the group. And I've changed my thoughts about that. You can go to my Instagram page. Follow me at Claire, the Heartbreak Coach. I have a post about coaching one-on-one now. And really, there's spots open for one-on-one, spots open for the group. If you feel like the group would be the right fit for you. The group is amazing. You learn so much by watching the women. You will not slip through the cracks. I always say if you raise your hand 99% of the time, I will answer your coaching on one of the four calls per week. Nobody slips through the cracks under my eyes. I love this work so much. I love the program. I love what one-on-one coaching offers, which is more of a high personal touch, more accountability, and more privacy if that is what you feel you need at this time. Thank you so much for listening. So much love, my loves. Until next time. Bye. My love, are you ready to stop wanting him back and find someone better? Then head on over to clairetheheartbreakcoach.com and sign up for my one-year group coaching program. I can't wait to put a stop to your broken heart and get a start on your happily ever after.